And um, so that was great being in Juarez, being back in, in Mexico. Um, but if you were here, if you were in Albuquerque, I hope that it was good and restful. Um, so um, there's only six more weeks left in the semester, <laughs> which I'm sure for some of you are like, no, don't say that. Um, and some of you are like, oh, please. And some of you are like, that's so long. So it is what it is. The Lord is faithful. He will provide for it. Um, but I do want to quickly, once again, qu- um, plug Summer Conference. I know I do this every week, but I really am telling you guys it's a lot of fun. I, what I don't want to happen is for this April 10th deadline to come up and for manana culture to have, like, bitten you in the butt. So... Um, don't let that happen. If you want, like we have computers here tonight, we'd love to get that process started. If you want to come, please come. I know you have a million things vying for your attention and um, they're all legitimate things, but don't let the urgent things crowd out the important things that is summer conference. So, um, because are you at summer conference is probably the most important thing you will do with your year. I'm just, I'm, maybe. Um, so anyway, sign up. So um, we're going to continue on tonight with our study of 1 John, um, and our theme, as you probably all well remember, is by this you know love, by this we know love. Um, And we've been asking all along, um, what is love? How does this pertain to love? (coughs) Sorry, guys, I have a cough tonight, so you're going to have to drink a lot of water. Um, This topic of love is, is really poignant, and I've tried to make that point over and over the last couple of weeks because I think, again, all of us asking questions about love in our family I've talked with a lot of you one-on-one or in groups. You all have questions about how do I love this particular family member better? Um, Or some of you are asking questions about how do you love your friends here in college? How are you a person around them that's caring and yet also firm with boundaries? Um, Some of you, and some of you, you're thinking about it on a really grand scale. How do we make a more loving society? These are topics of conversation which are just swirling around us if you go and ask, um, look on, you know, current events or news. And I've said over and over, no matter where you are, no matter where you are tonight, where you're coming in, um, Christian, non-Christian, rested, exhausted, um, competent in school, or feeling like a total failure, no matter where you are, um, I want to contend that each of us is asking a question about love. Am I loved? How do I love? Um, And so as a Christian, as a Christian pastor, I think that, uh, you know, I think that the Bible has a lot to say to that. Um, And so that's what we've been looking at. So um, tonight, our text is probably going to feel a little off-topic. When I first read it, you're going to be like, ah, what the heck does this have to do with love? Um, but I hope that as we get work through it, <coughs> um, we'll see what it does indeed have to say about love. So with that, I'll read our text, and then we'll dive in. Um, so our text tonight is from 1 John. This is chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is God's word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who was in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let me pray for us quickly. Father in heaven, thank you 
for this evening. Thank you that in the midst of all of the ways that we are um, pulled and pushed by life, uh, that you are constant and that your word is totally constant. It does not move. It does not change. Um, And it is a rock that, as Jeremiah says, it is a hammer that breaks the rock um, and yet is gentle and um, consistently present for us. We pray that your spirit would work in, in through your word in us tonight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I am, like I said, my voice is weak tonight. Uh, I think allergies are bad. Anyways, I want us to see three things in this passage tonight. Three things about um, testing the spirits. What does that phrase mean and how does it actually apply into our lives? And so the first thing I want us to see tonight in this idea of testing the spirits is the first is the reality of the spiritual world. The reality of the spiritual world. Look with me at verse 1. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so this is a really important starting place, and this is a really challenging starting place for where we live today, right now, in America, in the 21st century. Why would I say that? Because John is saying something that actually really flies in the face of sort of how our culture Our larger American culture, and certainly an academic environment like New Mexico State, operates and is saying that there is actually a spiritual world. There is actually a spiritual reality. Most of our world around us today doesn't say that, right? If you were to walk into, especially, well, most any department and say there's a spiritual reality, a supernatural reality, they would say, "Mm, can't be tested, can't be empirically verified, doesn't exist, right? I'm, I'm pretty sure that's right. And And behind this, um, there's actually, that's a unique position in human history. This idea that spiritual reality is not not actually there. Most of human history has actually, most of human history culturally and um, across time and in geographies have actually believed that there's a spiritual reality. Um, And so we have to start there because our culture doesn't really believe that today. Um, So what do I mean? Or what does... What does John mean when he says there actually is this spiritual reality? What I think John means here is he's saying that there's a supernatural, supernatural realm beyond what you and I can see, beyond what we can kind of test, that actually influences and affects our world, including us personally, individually, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, but even, even to the point of physically, um, and I recognize this is your, some of you are like, whoa, a supernatural realm that actually affects physics? You, there, that's too far. Um, this can be really challenging for us to believe today. Um, and the reason why it's challenging today is, I've talked about this already, is because we live in a world today that, that we could call, that many philosophers or sociologists would call secular. We live in a secular world. And by secular, <clears throat> I mean that all of us, all of us, Christian, non-Christian, no matter where you fall, um, we live in a world which says that the here and now, that there's only the physical, there's only the scientific, there's only what you can kind of empirically, scientifically prove, right? So we're like told in our, in our school, certainly in our classes, but by our media, um, by our professors, kind of in in our, even in our relationships, that everything in our life, all of our life can be explained without relying on God or the supernatural or really anything else. And religion is basically, if, 
it's basically an emotional crutch or it's, um, it's something that has to do with your own personal life, but it certainly isn't something that's true across the board, right? Am I right? This is, this is the world that we live in, I think. Um, and, and this is a, you know, this, you know, back in the day, here an example, 400 years ago, if there was a plague that swept through um, a, re- a region, how would they explain it? Well, they would have all kinds of reasons for explaining it, but almost none of them would be biological. They would say maybe the gods were angry, or they would say that you know, we'd upset some minor deity, or that we'd failed in our, we'd failed in our, our spiritual duties, or something. You know, they had all these reasons. Well, now today, when something like this happens, we have only a scientific, biological answer for it. So this is a huge change that we live in today that, that basically cuts off, doesn't acknowledge at all any sort of spiritual or supernatural reality. <clears throat> and it's just, it, it's today belief in God, belief in the supernatural um, is not just, it's not just unpopular, it's not even plausible. Um, science and reason are, are thought to be superior um, to faith and superstition. And so some of you may wonder, yeah, that's right, that's how we live. Um, and I feel like some of you, you know, I feel like the burden of proof is on religion to prove that there's actually this spiritual world. Um, it seems like the burden of proof is to prove scientifically that there is a spiritual world. Um, and, th- and that's sort of the beyond the scope of this talk in a lot of ways. Um, but I do want to sort of dig into it just a little bit. Um, and I want to hear this. You, 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 you might hear you know, that, that, that I'm saying here the spiritual world is really real. It's really true. And say, well, how can that be possible? How can that be possible? We live in a scientific world where statements like that need to be tested and proven empirically, rationally, through a process. We've got a very refined process. And if we do that, then we'll see that actually rational scientific reason will triumph over this sort of supernatural, um, superstitious religion. And so then maybe you see religion as a matter of faith and science as a matter of reason, and they're kind of exclusive. Um, <clears throat> and so I, I think what I, wanna, what I want you to see is that statement, that idea that everything has to be proven rationally, empirically, scientifically, that statement itself has to be subject to its own examination. It has to be able to hold up to its own standards, right? You, and I don't think you can actually prove that statement empirically. I'm not sure you can actually prove through the rational scientific process, that reason and science are the only way of knowing something. It can't, that can't be, you can't say that, that unless something is scientifically proven that then you can prove it scientifically. I just don't think it can happen. And I'm not alone in that. Basically, I've done a lot of reading on this. There's not really a philosopher, or a, sci- a philosopher of science or a scientist who can support that philosophically. And what, I, what that means is that you basically have to assume that idea. You have to assume the rational scientific process. You have to sort of assume it or beg the question before you go into it. You start off by assuming that and trusting that that is true and then going forward with that rational empirical process. You have to almost trust it. And so then it sort of becomes a matter of faith. And so what I want us to see here tonight is that um, that nobody here, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, doesn't have faith. Everybody is coming in with some sort of faith statement. What some of you maybe are saying, I only trust the rational empirical process 
to, to discern the world. And you have to have a, you have to trust that that's true. And some of us are saying there's actually a supernatural true reality, and we have to trust that statement. Do you see what I mean? So I, I know this is complicated. I know this feels like a philosophy lecture, and, and I don't want it to feel like that. But I want us to see here that none of us are totally a blank slate, and there's no neutral ground. We're all coming in with assumptions and a, and, a, and a network of sociological and philosophical and scientific assumptions that we're bringing into this. We all have some basic assumptions about life, faith, truth that we have to accept by faith, that we just have to say, like, I believe this. And we have to believe them on a combination of rational, experiential, and social grounds. And so why do I say this? Why do I say all this? Because I want you to see here that even the secular, even the non-Christian tonight has a faith system, just like the Christian. They have a faith system, just like the Christian. It's not that there's a tension between reason and faith. It's that both have faith and both have reasons for them. And so if this is something that you, you know, you, you're curious about, you want to talk about, I'd love to get coffee and talk about this. Like, I love this topic. It really gets me animated. So um, I'm going to move on. But if you have other questions, um, let's talk this week and we can talk through it. So anyways, all that to say is John is saying here that every, you know, there's a, everyone has a faith system. And John is saying here that the truth, the reality is that there is a spiritual world. There is a spiritual world that is really real. Well, what does that mean? It means that there are forces of good and evil that are beyond what you and I can see that are affecting and interacting with our daily life. <clears throat> and so Jesus would encounter these a lot in his earthly ministries. If you read the Gospels, you see over and over again when Jesus is encountering demons and demon-possessed people and, and um, ultimately casting them out and triumphing over them. Um, and so perhaps some of you even have experiences with that sort of thing, with some sort of like, something was weird, some sort of, you know, there was a dark spot. I know I have, um, and if, again, I, I don't have time to go into details, but if you're curious, I've had like one or two experiences where I'm like, something more than material is happening in this, in this situation. And so that's what, that's what John is getting at when he says, do not believe every spirit. There is a spiritual realm out there that is at work and at play. C.S. Lewis, who's a great Christian author in the 1950s and 60s, probably one of the greatest, he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. Um, and it's, a, le- it's, a, it's a, set, a set of letters that he writes um, as a demon. He's writing as a demon, um, and he's writing as a demon to his nephew, who's another demon who's tormenting this person. And so he's basically giving demonic advice to his little demon nephew on how to torment another a, a person it's really a creative book i really recommend it um and so remember he says this he, he talks about this idea in a really um really poignant way and so he says here and remember this, he's writing as a demon who's trying to prevent a person from following god he says our policy that is the demonic policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves i do not think you will have much difficulty in keeping the patient that is the person in the dark the fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it is an old textbook method of confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. So what is Lewis saying here? What he's just, he really he gets at something right there. He gets at something. He says that these spirits, the spiritual world, the dark one, the evil side, wants to persuade us that it's not there. 
It wants to persuade us that it's not there. They want to intentionally hide for us because if we don't see them, then, they, then we are distracted from that spiritual reality and we are not going to seek after God. If, they, if we're just like, there's nothing here but the material world, then we're not going to seek after God and we're not going to you know, seek relation. And then, and then his job's done. Then he doesn't even have to worry about it. So the first point that I want you to see here tonight is that there is a spiritual reality. It's, it's got forces of good and evil that are trying, and the forces of evil are trying to hide themselves from you, but they are at play. And whether or not you are a Christian or a non-Christian, you are making a faith claim about that reality. You're making a faith claim about that reality. And pl- you can't just admit, well, I'm the rational one, you're the faithful one. Both of us are making faith jumps about that. And John is here saying that this is true. There is a spiritual reality. So that brings us to our second point. <clears throat> that brings us to our second point. Our first point is that the spiritual world is real. So that and we should ask, well, what's the nature of this spiritual world? What are some of its characteristics? What are some of the things that are happening in this spiritual world? Well, the first thing to see in this text <clears throat> is that there's only two sides. There's two sides in this. There's not like a neutral, vague spiritual zone of like naturalistic paganism where there's just like forces of you know, tree spirits and sort of thing where there's just people moving in and out. No, John is describing here a spiritual world in which there are two sides. And, he's, you know, and, and the rest of Scripture attests to this. It's also not that there's like ghosts of dead people who are on earth haunting it. That's not what he's describing either. He's not describing like the mysticism of Eastern religions. Um, more what he's describing to us um, is like a... A battle, and that's what the rest of Scripture shows us, is a battle between two opposing forces that really hate each other and are in really, really deep conflict. There's the spirit of God, he tells us, and then there's the spirit of false prophets and the Antichrist. And we talked about the Antichrist a couple of weeks ago, about what that actually was. But it's more like, it's more like the Lord of the Rings, yeah? There's two sides. There's the good side and the bad side. And ultimately, you can't be neutral. And Tolkien is very clear on that if you read some of his literature about Lord of the Rings. Like, there's characters you can be like, well, Tom Bombadil or you know, something like that. He's new. No, there are two sides. And they are in pitched conflict with each other. Or maybe something like Harry Potter. You are, at the end of the day, you are either in the Order of the Phoenix or you are a Death Eater. That's what John is getting at here. There are two sides in this spiritual battle. Second thing you should notice about here is that this spiritual activity is not only supernatural. It's not merely supernatural. There's actually, it actually affects the natural world a little bit. Um, and to understand this, we have to understand the context of why John is writing. And some of you may remember... I'm sorry about my voice, y'all. <clears throat> some of you may remember a couple weeks ago we talked about what John was writing to in this letter and he's writing to a group of Christians that just had a group of within them break off and leave and they left because there was a divergent group that believed you know honestly wrong doctrine about who Jesus was and they left and that's who he's getting at when he's talking about many false prophets have gone out into the world and so they this group left because they they didn't believe who Jesus was They didn't believe that Jesus is the Christ, that he was God who came in the flesh. And so what he's saying here is that there's this spiritual reality actually takes, sometimes takes form in very real, very tangible people. It's not just demonic possession. It's actually human beings who teach anything that's contrary to scripture. It's anything that, what the heck was that? (laughs) 
I don't know, college is college. Um, So anyways, look at verse 2. It says, false prophets. There are false prophets who have gone out into the world. That's what he's getting at here. There's actually human beings. And so I want to say, this, this actually falls out in really, really tangible ways in your and my life. I want to take two examples for that, of that, of what that can look like. <clears throat> the first thing, some of you may snicker, but some of you may actually, you know, this may hit something. Horoscopes or tarot cards. Horoscopes or tarot cards. I know these are super popular today, especially like, you know, you just kind of like can, you know, just like, hey, what's my horoscope? Or I'm a Gemini and blah, blah, blah. Maybe you're even curious. Are these spiritual? Are they supernatural? Are they just, are they, I don't know. Are they just astrological? I, honestly, I don't know. They, they could be any mix of anything. But I'll tell you this. All of them operate from a perspective that is contrary to Christianity. They are contrary to Christianity because they do not recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. They do not recognize, what does he say here? He says, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is from God. This is the spirit. That, and so again, there's two sides. Horoscopes and tarot cards, are they spiritual? Are they supernatural? I honestly, I don't know. But I don't care in a sense because they are not acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ. They are not acknowledging the lordship of Jesus Christ. So John would say, ignore, deny that message. Test it. See that it's lacking and ignore it. Second, some of you, second way this applies out in really tangible ways for you and I. Some of you, in fact, I think many of you, have a really rich inner dialogue with yourself about who you are, your value. Um, and some of you often, I think, are hearing messages because I talk with a lot of you about your value as you interact with your daily life. Um, and I'm not meaning that you like hear voices in the sense that you're schizophrenic. I mean that you, as your life goes along, you're making, a, you're making value statements, you're making identity statements about how your day has been. So let me give an example. Um, I really validate myself. I put a lot of value in myself based on my performance. Um, and so like this week, honestly, to be really honest, I've had a really hard week um, in a lot of ways. I've been fighting a lot of dep- you know, like depression. I've got, I felt like a failure as a pastor this week. I felt like a failure as a husband this week. I've got weeds that are 24 inches tall in my backyard that I don't know how to fix the lawnmower and I don't have time to fix the lawnmower. And so I feel like I'm a bad homeowner because I don't know how to mow my lawn. And I've got this massive box of patio furniture that I haven't had time to put together that weighs 400 pounds in my entryway. So you walk in my house, you see this big pile of furniture. So I've just got like, I feel like I've just been getting punched around by life this week. Um, I feel stupid. I feel like a failure. I feel like, and why do I say this? Not so you feel sorry for me, but to say that we all have this message as our lives go along that we tell ourselves about who I am. What makes me valuable? Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's a relationship. Something that tells you what makes you valuable. Little messages, consciously and consciously, which inform your sense of significance. That inform who you are. And at the core, I think a lot of the times, they say you're not good enough. They say you're lacking in some way. And what I want you to hear is that these are often, almost always, contrary to the Christian gospel. So you and I have the work, especially if you're a Christian, we have the work of testing those messages when you hear them and saying, do these align with what I know is true about the gospel? Well, how do you do this? How do you actually do this in our day-to-day lives? I think it starts 
It starts with the person of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is God who came and died and came back to life, and if through by faith in him you and I are so closely united to him that nothing can hurt us, then that means we are of infinite value. That means God himself has united us to himself. That means that, man, if I have weeds growing on my lawn, yeah, I need to work on it, but that doesn't mean I, have a, I need, can make a value statement about myself. That doesn't mean, that means, yeah, you get a D on an exam. That doesn't mean that you can go along and make a, say, I'm a failure as a person. We have to test these messages. Say, does this align with what's true of the gospel of me? John is telling us here that every message we hear from a human being, from ourselves, from anything, must start with the person and the work of Jesus Christ, who died and rose because he loves you and me. And anything that doesn't start there is a lie. It's a lie. It's not true. So hear me say this. If you're a Christian, do not listen to those voices. Because if Jesus is the Christ, if he's the risen Lord, then your faith unites you to him so much so that you are of infinite value. So anything that says otherwise is a lie. Test that spirit and and shut it out. Third thing I want to see tonight. Third thing I want to see tonight. The victory of the spiritual world. First, we saw the reality of the spiritual world. It's a real thing. Even if we can't see it, it's a real thing. And we're all making a faith assumption, whether or not we say it is or isn't. Second thing, the nature of the spiritual reality. Finally, the, thir- the victory of the spiritual world. So some of you may wonder, what does this have to do with love? How is this related to our theme of love, testing the spirits? Well, I think it has two things to do with love. <clears throat> First, God has overcome the world. Our text says that in a couple of places. It says, you are from God and have overcome them. And it talks about also God having overcome the world. Verse 4 talks about that. And so Jesus again and again proves his power over the spiritual world. One of my favorite examples of this is from, um, is from Mark 5. Mark 5 is an amazing passage. And um, in it... Jesus is crossing the, crosses the sea. He pops out over on the other side, and there's this guy who is a demon-possessed man who, I mean, it's terrifying. If you, I mean, if you actually saw this, it's terrifying. He lives in a graveyard. He lives with the dead. Um, he sleeps, he, um, he, he howl, sleeps in the day, howls at night. He's supernaturally strong so that if people try to bind him with chains, he just breaks the chains. Um, and so, like, you look at, read Mark 5, 5. Day and night among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And so Mark is very clear to say this man is possessed by demons. There's a spiritual reality about him. Well, what happens when this man sees Jesus? Jesus, he knows, first of all, he knows exactly who Jesus is. He, he, he falls before Jesus' feet and says, what have, you do to, what have you to do with me, Jesus? And then he names him, he says, son of the most high God. And then Mark tells us that Jesus in total control, casts the demons out, heals the man mentally, and sends him on his way to tell him. I mean, that's what kind of power Jesus has. That's the victory of the, of, of the, that God has over the spiritual world of evil. There's not even a contest. Over and over again, the gospel shows us that Jesus is totally superior, totally superior over this evil spiritual world. There's, it's not a balance of good and evil. You know, like in Star Wars, there's the balance of the Force, where it's like as soon as you get a Jedi, there's going to have to be like a, a, a Sith Lord that rises in balance of it. Something like It's not like that. 
What happens is, I'm sorry, if there's Star Wars nerds, I did that wrong, but I know there's balance on the force. <laughs> it's not like that. <clears throat> it's not like that. There are two sides, good and evil, but one is massively more powerful than the other. So first of all, we see that God has overcome the world, but second of all, it's because of God's love. If God was only awesomely powerful, if, his, if, if it was just an incredible victory over the spiritual world, then it wouldn't be worth anything. Then, then we, if we were just on, we would just be like, okay, here's this massive deity that just blew all, the, all its enemies away. What do we do now? No. <laughs> this, is an, uh, this is an awesome force who, who conquers and loves us in the midst of his conquering. If it, was, it wouldn't be any help if God was just a, a, a cosmic power. But look, what, look at verses 4 and 6. What do verses 4 and 6 both say? They both say, you or we are from God. Well, what does that mean? It means that when you and I believe in God, we are so strongly united to him that his victory becomes our victory. His victory becomes our victory. Well, so how would this work? How would, how would I illustrate this? Any of you all sports fans? Any sport? Just pick a sport. One of you? Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I'm a huge football fan. I love Ohio State Buckeyes. Don't ask. I just love Ohio State. So what happens when my team wins a, gets a touchdown or wins a game? We say, we won, we won. I had nothing to do with it. I was sitting on my butt 2,000 miles from where the, the game happened. But I still say, we won. I still say we won. It's sort of like that. God's victory is like that, but with one major difference. In sports, we choose the team, and we choose, yeah, we choose the team, and we choose to love the team. But here, we don't choose God's team. We don't choose God's victory. God gives us his victory. God gives us his victory. That would be like Nick Foles, who is the quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, coming into here and saying, Jonathan, I want you to have my Super Bowl ring. I did nothing to deserve that Super Bowl ring. And yet, God, you know, here's, this man, here's Nick Foles saying, I want you to have this Super Bowl ring. But in this case, God has victory, and he gives us his victory. He gives us, that's how God's victory worked. God, who, Jesus, who is God himself, overcame the spiritual evers and then gives us his victory because he loves us. Because he loves us. That's good news. You see how good news that is, how much good news that it means. That means that you and I don't have to be thrown around by this spiritual world that's trying to hide from us and trying to deceive us and trying to say that you don't have value and trying to knock you down. That means that you have the tools that you need to test it. But it also means that you have to test it. You and I have to test the spirits. Listen to the messages that you hear on social media from your professors, test those messages and say, do these align with what I know is true of the gospel? Get in community. Talk with Brittany and I. Talk with other Christians and say, I heard this and I don't know what to think about it. Surround yourself with a community that will help you think and develop a worldview that aligns with what's true in this. And if you have questions, great. We all do. Let's join the community and talk about it. It means that we have to be shrewd and careful Everything we hear, everything we hear, you need to ask, does this align with who Jesus is? So what do we see tonight? We see that there is a real spiritual world. It's really real. Our world is trying to say us that there's not, but it's really there. Second, we see that the makeup of that world is that there's a cosmic battle between good and evil. 
There's a cosmic battle between good and evil, and it can manifest in some supernatural events, but it can also manifest in some really mundane ways. And third, we see the incredible victory of the gospel, that God is victorious over the evil forces of, of, that are trying to deceive and, and destroy us, and that he gives his victory to us because he loves us. So if that's true, you and I have the power to go out there into a world that has got a bunch of messages, and we can test them and we can know how to live a Christian godly life. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, um, thanks for this passage. Thanks that you give it to us, that you do not leave us on our own abandoned here to um, figure out how to muddle through life, but that you give us your word, you give us the community, you give us the church, that we can test these spirits. Father, I pray that you would give us courage to do that. I pray that we would um, join together in a community to do just that this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey guys, my name is John, also known as Johan.